Since I met you, baby, my whole life has changed. Since I met you, baby, my whole life has changed. Since I met you, baby, I'm a happy man. Hey! I don't need nobody to tell my troubles to. Joe Hunter, a name that not many people remember. Um, Ivory Joe Hunter, what a guy. But anyway, once again, I'm here with my precious Lucy Walker. Um, I've met few people in my life who have affected me so deeply as this woman has. Um, her son affected my life deeply also. Uh, we, we became about as close as two people could be and not be twins. <laughs> but uh, I, if you cut the first uh, segment of Lucy Walker, you know she's the, uh, ran the Eden Theatrical Workshop for over 50 years, the longest running African-American theatrical group in the United States of America. Um, and during that time, she had many, many struggles. We talked about some of them in the, in the previous thing, but right now, Lucy wants to talk about her early life, and she wants to talk about her dad. And we're going to give her an opportunity to talk about her dad, because anybody who 
was responsible for bringing her into the world. Got to got to be somebody. Let me tell you. <laughs> so Lucy, tell us about your day. Well, you know it's hard for me to talk about my father without talking about my parents. But my father had a, a history of his own and a very important one. Is he was born one of six children in Marvel, Arkansas, a few miles down the road from Turkey Scratch. <laughs> and the they moved to Helena and my father only went to school to the fourth grade because he was the oldest boy. He had to and, work. And he, he needed to work uh, picking cotton. That's what they their family did in Helena and he when he was old enough to leave on his own he crossed the river and came to Memphis and he worked at a, a restaurant and the interesting thing is I was a baby a very young girl, very, very young, before my sister was born. And yet I remember my father coming home from the little restaurant where he worked with a barbecue sandwich. And how I loved barbecue. And we would lay up in the bed in our little one-room apartment of efficiency apartment because it had everything in it and eat barbecue. My father uh, was coming home after we my sister was born we were moved we moved to South Memphis and my father was coming home from work one night and and white folks men chased him but he knew the neighborhood so with his long legs he was able to jump fences and escape and I often think about the fact that I could have lost my father and he, he was he loved me and I was like him physically tall skinny dark uh, and the first so I was very very special he got a job at one of the top hotels downtown they worked for tips and, and the guys complained in the back room about working for tips they wanted to be assured that they were going to get something so they appointed my father to be the spokesperson because they said, you can talk well. And so my father went out behind the, in front of the swinging doors, faced the man who was sitting at the back of the restaurant counting his money. And my father said, we fellows believe that we should have some kind of guaranteed salary 
and he looked around and all the other guys he just scared to come out they were behind they, they pushed him into a they pushed back him <laughs> forward and then so the man said well i tell you brown you fired <laughs> and my father came home um he didn't know what to do and my mama was always had a way of making ends meet so she and she didn't have to because she grew up uh, with plenty and, and but anyway she made pies fried pies and put them in a basket wrapped them up in paper and sent my father out on the road to sell these pies to men who worked outside very very industrious that, ambitious thing that's how he made his his money and then somebody told him that there was a man looking for uh, black men that looked like him they they had to be tall and black uh, so they could work on the railroads uh, in a sleeping car okay okay yeah because they had to so that was Ace, Asa Philip Randolph, A. Philip Randolph, and so my father went down to the train station and applied, and because he was tall, he could reach up there, he was black, he wasn't going to be confused with the conductor, because they wore the same costumes. So he was hired, and 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 then and he had met these guys when he was selling these pies, and then he they started sending him around the country, and he had not traveled anywhere from except from Helena to Memphis, but when he got to travel all over the country, he saw that there was some black folks that lived a little better than what he was living and and so they offered him a job in and they said you can go to Cleveland uh, Cincinnati or Denver and he he had come to Denver and he liked Denver better than the others, and he chose Denver. When I compare those cities where he was offered uh, offered a job, I think in in the big picture, Denver was the best choice. Not that it was wonderful or perfect, but it certainly was better than what we, we lived in in Memphis. And the fact that my father had a job that was considered fairly uh, uh, important. You know, railroad men were not on the bottom stratus. And especially Pullman porters they were a little higher, you know, 
everybody has to have that levels of superiority I guess you call it but my father he he was friendly with all railroad men waiters chair cop porters whatever it didn't matter his friends weren't just the Pullman porters but that uh, but you know here's the the bad part, and I really shouldn't say it, I suspect, but I will. He was accused of, of pulling a gun on a white woman in his, on his, on the train. My, we didn't have a one gun, and that gun stayed at home with my mama. My father never took a gun out of the house. But that was, it, 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 it was no court or nothing, no kind of person. He just went, he went to pick up his check and they told him about the, um, that he was, they just told him he was fired. And I have a cousin that lives in Chicago and they have a Pullman museum there. And so I had them, t I had her to look it up and she found the piece the of paper that said that the reason he was, there was no trial. There was nothing to, my father was not a violent person. Anybody that knew him would say that. I wouldn't say that about my mama if you push her, but uh, but my father was very gentle. No, and he didn't need to. No, I won't say the word. He didn't need sex that bad that he had to take it. <laughs> I think they probably he did something step over the line because back in those days, I, you know, I know how it was back in those days. He stepped over the line. And they wanted to get rid of him, and 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 back in those days, you could accuse uh, uh, someone of his standing of anything. And no, and no court or nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was that's that. And he came home, and I remember my mama said, "Oh, Brown, what are we gonna do?" She didn't know how we were gonna make it, but my father was resourceful. Both of them were resourceful. So he went down on the Five Points, which was the place where black folks hung out at that time. And there was a guy had a barber shop down there, and his name was Walker. And he agreed to train my father to be oh. a barber. And so that's what he did until he had his strokes and couldn't barber no more. Eventually, he he had his own barber shop and um, and he asked me for a name and I said you want to be listed at the top of the list of barbers so it's going to be A1 Tonsorio <laughs> not barber shop it, Tonsorio is very sophisticated yes, yes, yes. 
and that's what he and that's, that's what, he, what he did until he had a stroke and he had to give it all up. Isn't that wonderful? You know, back in those days, people had to adapt in in order to to survive, especially since they weren't allowed many avenues were just not open to, to certain types of people in this country. That has changed, although today uh, they seem to want to turn the clock back. But, uh, you know, but that's, that's a, a, another story. Um, so your father had a, a, an immense uh, effect on you as a human being. I'm sure he did, you know, both my, my mother and my father. And my mother, I have an interesting story about my mother the next time you want to hear another story. I have a very, very interesting story about her. Well, why don't you give it to us? Give it to yeah. Give me. it to you? Yes. Oh. My mother, in the first place, uh, her middle name was Thompson, named for a white woman that lived in the, in the area where they lived. This was a white woman who um, apparently was, had no problems with people being black. A liberal, liberal state. Yeah, and she would allow my grandmother to sit on her porch, which is was something you didn't do in the South. In those days, yeah. You, you didn't go in the front door. Oh, oh, oh I got stories about that. I okay. broke every every law they had about race in the South. Uh -huh. I wouldn't abide by any of it. You know? Well, any, <laughs> anyway, my my mother, my my grandmother was sired by a, a Confederate general. Oh, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and I think because of him uh, having maybe some kind of semblance of, of honesty or whatever, he gave my grandmother when she got married everything she needed. Cows, horses, pigs, chickens, fruit trees. They didn't pick cotton. They they had everything. Everything. That is interesting that back that a Confederate general A Confederate would, would, General would, would have that much feeling for one of his black offsprings that he would look after them like that. That is very rare. Very rare. rare. Yes. And years later, I tried to get in touch with with some of those people, uh, his family. but they weren't interested. Yeah. They weren't interested. And besides that, uh, they all have um, names listed that you can't get in touch with yeah, them. Yeah. But I, I didn't want anything. I wanted to let them know that within all this madness, all this meanness that has been done to black people, every now and then 
in order to maintain some level of sanity, you need to focus on what's good. Yes, yes. If you fill your soul and body with anger, with all the anger that is thrown at you, you it will make you sick. And if you get sick, what's the next step? <laughs> yeah, you're gone. So, so my mother, because they had so much, they, she didn't have that anger and that prejudice against white folks. And so she didn't, I learned that on my own when I had to deal with them. I didn't, my mother didn't um, work outside of the house. So she didn't have to deal with all of the prejudices that I had to deal with when I was out there on my own. So she, her job was to stay at home and cook and, and tend to her garden and and all the things that a lady a lady does but anyway I, w I just wanted to get in touch with them those they, they were pillars the name was pillar general pillar and he also pillar also owned a lot of land in Arkansas in Helena Arkansas where my father's folks lived on Pillar's place, but he didn't do anything for my father's folks, and um, they and they weren't mixed. Yeah, yeah. Well, well your uh, mother was his actual offspring. Yeah. Yeah, and like I say, it's a it's a wonderful story because, like you say, sometimes we have to focus on some of the good things that happen. And that's a good story that this man fathered a child with a, a slave, obviously. And yes, my my great grandmother was a was and, uh, and he had, had been a slave, yeah. and she she was part she was African and and Cherokee. There's a lot, you find a lot of, a lot of that in, in the South. There was a lot of intermarrying between the Indians and the Blacks in, in the South. And I have a lot of interest in, in, in the history of the Cherokees, but I don't have a way to focus on getting in touch with anybody. Um, but we have, we have uh, an, an Indian organization here in Denver and I used to be some kind of way connected with them but of course now that I don't drive and don't get around much and don't have transportation there's very little I can do but I I, I said who knows one day something might happen and and somebody will make it possible for me to get in touch with 
some some of the people some people some of the people yeah. that you know we our lives have interacted one time I was in Santa Fe I was attending an outdoor event and there was a young Indian woman coming up we were sitting on uh, some tiered steps and she was coming up to sit at one of the higher steps and we looked at each other we stared at each other until I got embarrassed I'm staring at her and she went on and then after she went up there I decided I wanted to really look at her again because she looks like me and I turned around slowly and looked and she was looking at me and I was embarrassed because I didn't want her to think I was staring but I saw another Indian woman and we both we were up at uh, Burger King one day we both recognized how much we looked at each other looked like each other we were both tall and she was brown her skin was a little bit brown but she was with a group of Indians and it was obvious she was Indian but we spoke and I had it, it never occurred to me to try to connect with her get her name and address and telephone number but I was so curious so curious that there would be somebody that looked like me yeah 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 there was a lot of intermarrying between the the a weird thing is scientists say um, a lot of people claim to have Indian blood they said that uh, fifty percent of African Americans who go back to slavery days can claim Indian blood there was just that much as intermarried between them but they but they scientists laughed at the Caucasian uh, propensity to say oh well I'm Cherokee I'm Cherokee I'm Cherokee and they said if every white person <laughs> it did no, they said that if one-tenth of all the white people who say they have Cherokee blood actually had Cherokee blood there would be no Cherokees left they, 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 you know, they would all be, be absorbed um, but you know I, I'm, I'm very proud of my indigenous blood I, I, I knew I was Choctaw but when I uh, made contact with uh, a part of my family who I was separated from since I was a, a baby we reunited all in our old age 60s and 70s and I found out from them that on that side of the family uh, our uh, grandmother was stolen from the Cherokee Reservation in Virginia and I know of that reservation and she became our, our grandmother so anyway that's that I, I'm proud of my uh, indigenous uh, blood but now let's talk about your daughter my what Lynn your daughter. my daughter yes. oh my love Lynn was a beautiful tiny little baby and but I had been used to going and was very active I had a job and and I had Floyd and that was enough and and the social worker came and said 
you are being very spe uh, uh, what is selfish not no selfish yeah. you're being very selfish if you're gonna raise this boy without a playmate and so I <laughs> I had to think about it but you know I had a job I had a social life I had a brand new house I was taken care of I had a husband you know I was busy so they brought this baby without me uh, approving of, uh, of her and I looked at her she was beautiful she was a, a tiny tiny little doll but they took off her hat and she had no hair and there was just a little sprig of hair in the very back of her head and I said I don't want no bald-headed baby <laughs> but my mama said no problem my mama believed she could make hair grow on a billiard ball <laughs> and I didn't realize that that was that kind of yeah, 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 situation kind of was possible it come back yeah the child's hair grew and grew and grew and it was beautiful. It was easy, easy to manage and all. And she was a beautiful little girl and she loved everything that I did with her. She loved to, she loved to read and to learn and she was quick she would learn really quick Floyd soon got tired of, of my trying to teach him something and he didn't want to do it anymore and Lynn wanted to do it and I said well if both of you can't do it I'm wasting my time so I just quit but she was always extremely eager and capable. And I have written, uh, I've written in a couple of my books something that she has written. And maybe the next time, uh, if there is a next time I get to uh, uh, talk about my life, I can include some of her writings. The child is actually brilliant she's she is she can do anything that she wants to do but she's extremely creative that's her big talent and her best interest but without her or i should say without my kids i wouldn't be here today I wouldn't have lasted this long. Both of them helped me with my theater. Lynn was more uh, focused on the backstage work, which was hard to get anybody to work backstage. Anybody that's interested in theater, they want to be the star. Yes. And they want to <laughs> be on center stage. 
But Lynn was backstage doing everything that needed to be done. Costumes, props, uh, whatever. And she enjoyed it. It wasn't something... What she didn't enjoy was being on stage. And every now and then I pushed her to be on stage because somebody quit at the last minute or I couldn't get anybody to take the part. And so she told her brother, I'm tired of being in Mama's plays. And her brother told her, well, just tell Mama no. And so after that, she said no, no. And she was never in another play. Lynn, Lynn, I love Lynn. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful, you know, your dad, I would love to have known your dad. <laughs> you wanna... I would love to have known your dad. To, to have, you know, have My known dad? Him. Yeah, yeah, yes. yes. He was a tall, slim, handsome guy and a very, very good guy. Yeah. When I say good guy, I mean, I never heard him say a bad thing about anybody. He was never in any kind of an alteration with anybody. He was just a, he was a, he came from a very close family. They loved each other. And he was the oldest boy. So he was sort of like in, in charge of all of his sisters. And he had a brother that was the youngest, but the, they were so far in, in age different that they didn't they didn't connect. But he was connected with his sisters, and his sisters loved their big brother. It was the most loving family you would ever want to meet. Well, that's that's great. That's great. My mother had, there was 13 of them, 13 that... That's the way families were back in, back, back in, in, in those all, days. All of them lived yeah, yeah. to be grown. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember 12 kids, 14 kids was not unusual, especially in the South, if you were farmers, yeah, especially. Yeah, because you had plenty to you eat. You had plenty to eat and you had plenty of workers. The more kids you had, the more workers you had. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, and they always had big families, and I'm sure you uh, uh, remember the family reunions every like every Sunday or something like that. Everybody would come, whoever was you know. We didn't have a family reunion. The the uh, the white folks got together on the Fourth of July on our property. Because my grandmama would barbecue uh, pigs and, and she would bake a lot of food so that they could have that picnic up in the park. So that was sort of when the relatives on my grandparents' side would come together to help my grandmother put all this food and kill these hogs so that they could, white folks could barbecue them and, and cook and all. 
and that was sort of an informal um, family reunion but we never had a real family reunion until a few years ago when my aunt was going to turn 100. She would have been the oldest one in the family and and that was going to be in Memphis and it was our first real family reunion. Quite a number of us came from different places but my, my aunt who was going to be a hundred in on that, that day in July died in February. She, she was 99 so she didn't make it to 100 and she was it wasn't that she was sick or nothing that she but I don't know exactly what all had happened because but after that we had one other family reunion and it was a lot of work for my cousin, her granddaughter, and it was just too much work for her. So we never had any more. The family does, and on my father's side, I hear, I heard that they were having a family reunion, but I'm not in contact with any of them. Your, your, your history here, we were before here and here in Denver, you ruffle a lot of feathers in Denver. A lot of. You ruffle a lot of feathers. Yeah. You know, you, you are. Black and white. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh well, from what I know of you, uh, you didn't make, you didn't care about that. You cared about what, what, what you thought was right, you know. And uh, like I said, you're famous and infamous yeah. in Denver, Colorado. And, yeah. but Most of the black folks that dislike me are black folks who have been what I call favored by the whites. And, 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 and they, their livelihood and dependence is on white folks. And so if they uh, associate with the enemy, Lucy Walker, that may, that may affect their relationship. And I had one, a guy who was very well known for giving out grants to different organizations. He practically told me that. He said, when I asked him for support for my theater company, he quickly named another uh, black organization. And I said, and in, I, act, I tried to act innocent. I said, what does that have to do with me? I'm theater and she's something else, you know? And he said, but she, he hesitated. He wanted to say, but she's black, and he's only gonna give to one black. So you know, uh, it, 
any kind of situation of discrimination that you can think of, I experienced it. But at the same time, you know, there were those who ignored it and supported me and supported anyway. You. Yes, yes. I yes. have so many people. I'm trying, one of the things that I'm trying to do is to make sure that I make every effort to contact as many of those people who supported me to say thank you for whatever little t good times I had. I had it because there were others who helped me. If I had had all enemies, I wouldn't have lasted. I lasted because despite the, those forces that were against me, there were forces for me. Yeah, and the good thing about you is that I, I, I've seen this myself, is even though a lot of your struggles came from being of a certain color, you know, the race thing, but I've noticed that your supporters uh, of all races. They are. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, they, when I see your supporters, they have all they have all races. Mm -hmm. You know, those who know you and love you care little about all that race stuff. You know, they're on your side, and those who aren't, black or white, they're on the other side. And and you have always pissed people off because you. Speak your mind. You 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 speak your mind, and 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 some people can't handle it. No, I know that. <laughs> but you know the other thing I know: there is no way that you that anybody can be all things to, to all to people. All people, yes, yes, yes. And yes, so sure. you figure out what works for you. I wouldn't have lasted as long as I did 50 plus years if I hadn't been doing something right. I wasn't. There was somebody, somebody's, that uh, appreciated what I was doing. Otherwise, I wouldn't have lasted. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Because I didn't have the finances to exist. You, you, people with a whole bunch of money, they can buy, but then I wonder about that. <laughs> when you see what's going on uh, with people with a whole bunch of money, money can't buy everything you need or uh, love or anything. So what it was that made me su survive and so many others didn't. I really don't know. There was a theater company here that was getting all kinds of recognition, national and local, soared. In fact, two of them soared financially and otherwise ahead of Eden. But there was a flaw, and there was a flaw must have been so big that they couldn't get over it, and they couldn't get around it. 
and it stopped them. Stopped them. When I had flaws against me, you know, IRS threatened to put yellow stripes on my door to keep me from going in. And if I you you go through those those yellow pieces oh, 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 of paper, yeah, yeah, yeah. that means you go to jail. Yeah, it's just gets too long. Yeah. But out of the clear blue, and I can't remember his name, and I knew it for a long time. There was a lawyer that heard about my plight. He knew that I didn't owe the government any money, and he took on my case pro bono. I didn't have to pay no money at all. And he fought the federal government until they, until, you know, if they don't get it, the case resolved within 10 years, I think it's 10 years, then it's, it's over. It's over, it's over. So and he, he and every time they would throw something at him, he would throw something back at them to respond to. And they got all them people up there in Washington, D.C., getting paid all this money to do everything. And half of them, I don't know about half, but a large percentage of them aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. They just up there getting their money. So when, he, when they would send him a notice, he would send them a notice. And it'd take them forever to respond. To, to respond. Pretty soon, 10 years passed. Yeah, 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 he warmed down. <laughs> he warmed and, down. And, and I didn't have to pay. Didn't I didn't owe. Yeah, I yeah, really yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. owe. And the government owes me today. But I can't get to nobody. Nobody will listen. And they don't accept telegrams anymore. I, I don't think you can send it. It has to be email or something like that. And I, I don't believe you can send email to anybody. I don't know if the people, I don't know what kind of option people have these days for reaching the government. And since the government is supposed to be uh, open to all the people. If they can't do it in Washington, D.C., they got the, uh, a component in the state, and the state has a component in the city, and the city has a component in its precinct. Somebody should be helping. But I can't, I can't get any it's, help. It's, but you know what? You struggle through, because I'm, I'm, we're going to have to call this in there. I, they, got, they got a storm coming in here to Denver at 3 o'clock, and I want to be in my hotel room when, <laughs> when that thing comes. They say it's going to be flooding and all kinds of stuff. Uh, Lucy, we're going to do this again. When I come back on my regular tour, you know, usually when I come to Denver, I'm here for anywhere from four weeks four days to a week. This time I came in for only two short days. But when I come back on my regular tours and I'm gonna be working, I'll be here for at least a week. I'm gonna do a full concert with you because I wanted you to sing with me this time, but we, 
uh, it didn't work out for you to get here in time enough. Um, but I'm going to come back, when I do come back, I'm going to do a concert where I'm going to play the music and you're going to sing and we're going to have a support. <laughs> well, but, but right you know, now, the, the, the good thing is you perform primarily for seniors and, and maybe seniors uh, are happy to see somebody their age oh, yeah, uh, cause, performing. Cause, Otherwise, I know that I cannot sing. I've been told that by my son. He told me yeah. I couldn't sing, and so. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, I differ. I differ. Okay, listen. I'm gonna take you back once again. I'm trying to fix stuff from out of the era that you come from, and and me too. Uh, you're not that old, much older than I am. Um, and I'm sure you're going to remember this. This song was uh, comes from out of the 1920s. Uh, the old Delta bluesmen like uh, Blind Lemon Jefferson and all those guys were doing this song. Let's give it a try here. Lyrics on the water. I don't need land at all. 
I can never get enough of your <laughs> music. And yeah. it just brings back so many memories. I remember all these uh, singers and performers that you talk about and how you built up such a repertoire of all these people. It's amazing. Well, playing with your son Floyd, Floyd was just such an incredible musician, you know. Um, people, have, people have told me, they say, you know, Alligator, I, we've heard you for 50, 60 years, and to tell you the truth, the best you ever sounded when you, when you had Floyd Walker playing with you. <laughs> me and Floyd, we used to do duos. We, we didn't need everybody else, you know. <laughs> he had the drum machine going. Well, I think that's nice of you to say yeah. that, but I think it was you. I think Floyd was not original, and he he was able to interpret what he heard, I think, um, and go along with it. But yeah. you are creative. Well, Floyd said his job was always to make me f sound good. Yes. He yes. said, you no, know, because I used to try to get him to sing. Floyd, Floyd was a great singer, but he wouldn't sing. And, and, uh, and one time he sang Georgia for, for us in a club, and the house just went wild. But he preferred to stay in the background and make me sound good. I wish that you know? he would sing. He started off as a singer, as a child, because I wasn't smart enough to teach him how to play the organ. We had an organ in the house. But I could, I could teach him how to sing. And he, the first time he sang in public, he was too short to reach the microphone and we had to stand him on a box, uh, yeah. just reach the microphone. And I'm standing behind him, scared to death that he's going to stumble and fall. But he sang his little song. We used to have a, a program called The Show Wagon. And they would go to different parts of the city and perform in different neighborhoods. And, and the woman that was in charge of it, she was a friend of mine. And so it was easy for me to get Floyd on it. And and then I had another friend who was a great musician herself. And she would play for Floyd. So Floyd had a good musical support. Well, he, he, he was absolutely, was absolutely one of, he, he inspired me. He would always tell me, alligator, all you gotta do is just keep being alligator. Just do alligator. You don't have to do nothing else. You know? and, and, you know, naturally he was right. Listen, this is alligator in alignment. Um, I'm going to, this is Lucy Walker. You haven't heard the last of her. I'm going to come back. I'm going to do, like, I, me and her going to do a concert. I'm going to rehearse some music with her and wait till you hear her do her sassy <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So listen. I hope you all have enjoyed this, these, uh, both of these things that I've done with Lucy. I'm going to put out one, uh, 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 and then I'll put out another one maybe a few weeks later. But all I can say is this is Alligator in Alignment. Here's all I'm going to say is vote, vote, vote. Please go and vote. Happy trails to you. We will see you next time. Alligator in Alignment. <laughs>